kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. All right, hello, everybody. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, with Carlo, my man. Hello. My producer. Today, we got a guy here that just happens to know Bo for a long time. I remember Murray when I was a detective up in the Bronx, when I used to work all over the city, and Murray was the go-to guy. If you got locked up 2 o'clock in the morning, you call Murray. And then all of a sudden, he has this offspring, the greatest lawyer, I think, in New York today, his daughter who I use all the time, and you got some tough family, man. You, you're one tough lawyer, and you got one tough daughter. She's the great, one of the greatest lawyers that I've ever come up with. I give her cases all the time. She just solved another case. She's fabulous, fabulous. All in the genes. You know how it is. Yeah. She's well, great. She's terrific. Stacey Richmond's the best. Stacey Richmond, you know, Carlo, when if I get in trouble at 2 o'clock in the morning, I call Stacey Richmond. That's the one to go. She answers the phone. She's fabulous, fabulous, but she knows everybody. She's able to work all the courts, whether it's Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens. She's the person, and I tell you what, all I feel sorry for is she has no life. She's a lawyer. It's her life. Lives, breathes, and sleeps lawyering. I just need her to get some get some grandchildren for this. Uh, well, I got grandchildren for my other daughter. Yeah, well, we need some for Stacy. Come on, we got to get them. I can't do it. You know that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's talk a little bit about you, Murray. You know, you're a practicing attorney with over 50. How many years? 55 years. 55 years. I probably know you just about then. And uh, where did you actually grow up, Murray? I grew up in the South Bronx. Yeah. Cortona Park. Yeah, yeah. I grew up there, played baseball there. I, my father was an immigrant. Came from uh, Romania, ah. and uh, so I appreciate the immigrant status. I know that other people have different points of view, but I appreciate. You don't know, what I'm they an immigrant. Do. We all. I'm from Sicily. My father's from Germany, but we're, you know, we're all immigrants. Was the type of immigrant you become? You become an American, and you love this country. That's what it is. Country first, where you came from. Second, that's the way I feel. About Not it. even important where you came from, as long as I, yeah. I tell you very frankly, I went back to Romania this past year for yeah. the first time. I was never particularly interested in going back. Well, I went to I went to Budapest, Hungary, with Margo in the summer. Budapest was beautiful. I was there last year, and I'm going to go there. I'll be again there in May. Budapest is beautiful, and you know they they don't allow any of the uh, Syrian boat people in there. Oh. And in the parks there, they have a park in the central. It's called Margaret Park or something, and they have the merry-go-rounds. People having picnics. It was like the old 1950s in New York, and no crime. Really nice, really nice Budapest. So you know, Eastern European people are really good people. Hardworking Hungarian, Romanian. These are people that work hard. But so you grew up in South Bronx, and m- mom and dad were in. From the other side? Yep, both came from the other side. Did you have lawyers in your family? No, nope, nobody. We were, I was the first one. My older brother was the first one to go to college. And yeah. he, he became a banker. Uh-huh. And I followed in his footsteps to go to college, went to City College. Uh-huh. Then I went and got a master's degree in social work when I worked in the courts as a social worker first. Wow, you, oh, you weren't an attorney first. Yeah, I was a social worker for five years in the first New York City Youth Board, then in the Youth Council Bureau in the DA's office. And then 55 years ago, I became an attorney, went to New York Law School. Wow, wow, wow. And, uh, you know, over the years, you know, some of the greatest lawyers we were just talking about with Chargell and Bichetti and, and what's my other friend there? Slotnick. Uh, well, Barry, of course, but the other fellow that passed on, uh, Jimmy LaRosa. Jimmy LaRosa, oh, great. These are guys that, uh, you know, Carlo, these are some of the greats. 
And uh, these lawyers handle a lot of stuff. So then Murray got a nickname over the years, Don't Worry Murray. I know that name. That's, well, that's, I've, I've heard him growing up my whole life. Well, that was the thing. You know, if you had a problem, don't worry, call Murray. And Murray Richmond would be there. And then all of a sudden he started getting a reputation. Because I guess, you know, with, the, with my people, you know, my <laughs> people, he got a reputation with organized crime. They say that. Our people were involved in organized crime at one time, you know, mafia type shit. And uh, and then Murray got involved with that, and he handled a lot of big cases. A lot of the cases were real. A lot of them were fugazi. But Murray worked by the law. If you want to prosecute somebody, have the evidence. That's what America is about. You build a case. You're innocent till you're proven guilty. You're not guilty till you're proven innocent. No, it That's all law. Right, no, Murray? You know, oddly enough. Most people say that you're innocent until proven guilty. That's what it's supposed to be. But most persons, when they get on the jury, they presume simply because a man is charged with a crime, he must have done something. And that's not always the case. You know that. Well, somebody's killing these fucking people. Come on, Murray. Well, but not everybody is, is guilty of crimes. <laughs> I've tried some wonderful cases. Half of them shouldn't have been crimes whatsoever. Yeah. Well, they, you know, and it's, it's the old thing, like what happened just in Staten Island, right? Poor Gene Gotti that I grew oh. up with and Johnny Gotti. Gene Gotti just gets out of jail. He's out of jail for a few months. And right away, this guy gets whacked and they're thrown in on him. And, and people don't realize, you know, everyone was talking. Oh, yeah, definitely Gene Gotti killed this guy. Of course, the New York and, Post made a comment about it in, in an editorial. Right. I mean, they were, they were convicted the guy already. And, I, and Junior Gotti, who I speak with and all that, and I can see him feeling that way. Look, hey, look at my father dead. My father did what he had to do. He went to jail like a man. He did his time and he got sick and he was part of it. And he's, he's gone. So leave our family alone. Let us, let us continue. He's got a lot of kids. He's got, uh, there's grandchildren out there and hey, let them get their lives. I'm not condoning organized crime or crime against people. All I'm saying is people have a right to live too. So, but you know, the issue of organized crime Today, it's like shooting, you know, fish in a barrel. Yeah. Anytime the FBI needs a good arrest, something that they want to make points on, arrest a wise guy. Arrest something else. Yeah. And they make the cases, most of the cases, are fugazi cases. You know that. Yeah. Well, you know, and another thing, Murray, it's just funny from my, my uh, kind of uh, uh, experience on these cases are, like, you, you talk about banks, all of a sudden, you had banks that were bailed out, which could have went down for doing unscrupulous stuff. Now, all of a sudden, they have earnings just came out $144 billion in profit. These are the same banks that we bailed out with American money. You know, there's a fine line between criminal and civil. And these banks were there. They were doing all kinds of things, overcharging people and all that. And they get away with this kind of stuff. So really, what is the criminal enterprise? Is the big banks? Should those big banks be called upon with the $144 million, billion worth of profits? Should they be called upon to give some for some interest-free loans to people in America that are struggling. You know, I'm going to start to sound like a real liberal because I want to help people. And damn it, if I'm making $144 billion in profits, there should be something that we helped you with the government. Hey, give some back to the people. Help them get some non-interest loans. That, but that's not what it's all about. You know, you know interestingly enough, you like MasterCard, and MasterCard is a good company of all, but if you MasterCard, which formulates its company in Iowa, can charge 32.48% interest. On, 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 on. 32.4. And let a wise guy, let anybody charge more than 2% a month. 
Mm. And you were going, you're going to go to jail. Well, you know what? We have a thing called off-track betting. We have a thing called the lottery. I mean, years ago, used to be people couldn't go do the lottery. They used to do the numbers. You had the numbers guy. Oh, yeah. I made a what fortune was that the way. Diff- what, was, what was the difference? What was the difference between the numbers guy and the, and, and the lottery or gambling? I mean, but now they're making money on it. So in reality, that part of organized crime is now legal gambling. Yeah, but it's not. The state is doing it, and it's okay. But if you and I did the same thing, you know, take sports betting, we'd go to jail. And that's not fair. You know, there's a case, an old Supreme Court case, Marbury versus Madison, which lets the individual compete with the state. Yeah. Because that was riverboats in those days. Why can't an individual compete with the state in, in giving better odds than the state would in gambling cases? You can't. Well, because the well, state has taken a monopoly. You, you go to a bank. I'm a small, I'm a businessman, middle business, middle sized business. And I, I have credit lines. I had some problems there. They didn't want to lend me money. Well, why can't I go to Murray and say, hey, Murray, lend me half a million dollars. I'll tell you what, I'll give you 18% a year on you. Why? Why can't you do that? If I agree to do that, that's my prerogative. But because you have an organized crime name and you do it with me, it's not right. But the, the banks won't lend me money. So what's what's the difference? Well, that's one of the problems. But notwithstanding that, we, we all recognize that. We always articulate that. We say it all the time. But in the final analysis, the courts don't look at it that way. They just they'll they'll prosecute you, you know, willy nilly. That's the end of it. Yeah. And that's been the case always. Is it fair? No. When did the law ever become fair? Hmm. Well, I have I, a question for you. So you know, we we're talking a little bit about your early career. You start out as a social worker. So what drew you to criminal defense law? I, I got to tell you, it's a mixed bag, and I'll be honest with you. I was a social worker, and I felt that, to a large extent, I was not getting across. I was not helping people. But I'm not going to make myself a pure person that I was, wanted to help. I wanted to earn something. I wanted to make a living. I, want, I had a family. I wanted to live decently as well. I felt that I could do more practicing law than I could being a social worker. And in the social work capacity, I struggled. As a lawyer, I've got a nice round belly. <laughs> and that's the reality. So when you f- first opened your practice, what types of cases were you handling? In those days, that was really, but back in the early 60s, I set up in the back of a travel agency in the South Bronx. I was a kid. I'd take anything. If, if a guy breathed and I could make money out of it, I would have taken <laughs> the case. And I would work it, and that's the way I work it. But eventually, I found my niche. I know I loved crime. I loved the cr- criminal action. I was good in court. You know, I've tried excess of 437 jury trials. Wow. I don't know anybody. In one year, I did 22 jury trials. They gave me my own part, my own judge, because I was backed up. And I, I tried one case after another, wow. after another, after another. And as a result, you, you perfect your craft. You know what you're doing. Now, I'm an old man. Now, you ask me, how old are you? How old are you? Well, I went to the cemetery the other day. The guy said it hardly paid for me to go home. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's how old I am. But I've been doing it for 55 years, 60 years in the court system alone. I love the courts. I know how to work it. I know I can understand the judge. I know what, what I can do with the judge. I'll never step over the bounds. I'll never lie to the court. I'll never do anything. And even the cop, who I cross-examined many times, are some of my best clients and some of my best friends. Who could better a pro-cop like Bodil? 
Yeah, no, a I, I mean, look, and who do I go? I go to Murray. And I have and Murray the defended cops. a lot of guys against cops, but it's not a personal thing, you know. Carl, it comes, you do the right thing. Like he just said, you tell the truth. He doesn't have a reputation of making stories up a lot. He's got what he's got. Here's what it is. I'm not going to lie. You know, there's some unscrupulous lawyers there that get a reputation that they'll lie and do anything they can to get a conviction. That's not Murray. What I got is what I got. Here's what we're going to stand by the law. We bring the law in, and if the law is on our side, that's what I want. Right. You know, it's very important that people get their defense. And I think you've said before that a criminal defense attorney is Liberty's last line of defense. Last champion. Last no, champion. We're like, you know, we think of an ocean breaking on the shores and those rocks. That's us. We will be eventually broken by all those waves, but we're there keeping our clients safe to the certain extent that they can. Are the clients the best people in the world? No. I'm not here to save God. I'm here to, I'm here to work man's purpose. Well, there's a very important question I'm, I've been waiting for you to come in and ask about with, with this reform, with this uh, jail reform that's coming across the country. What's your real feelings towards this? I understand, you know, it's a thing with brown and uh, black people saying that there's overabundance of, of enforcement with them. But the reality is, and I'm not a dumb person, the reality is a lot of the crime is happening amongst the brown and the black people. No one politically correct wants to admit to that. Wherever the crime is, that's where, like, even with the stop and frisk, where the crime is, that's where you, you, try, to, you try to get the crime down for the people because the victims are black on black or Hispanic and Hispanic crime. So you're trying to get that crime away. What's your feelings about with this jail reform? I'm, I'm very much in favor of the jail reform. I, I am of the opinion that... Uh, the minority's got a bad shake, okay? You've got a different point of view, and I, ex- I No, 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 I have a, I'm wide open. <clears throat> I, I think they really do get a short shrift. I, if you go man by man, a white kid charged with the same co- uh, crime as an African-American kid or a Spanish kid yeah. will get less time than a black kid or a Hispanic kid. Really? As a matter of fact, guaranteed. And I, and I get angry with that. I'm in the system. Oh, no, no, I, and, I, I, and I tell the judges, I say, what are we doing? Oh, well, don't give me all well. I'm not listen, listening to your statistics. I want to have fairness across the board. Yeah, but you got a guy, you got a guy out there that's been arrested 30 times, robberies and certain things like that. I mean, there's a record of a, a continuous interactivity with crime. So what do you do? What do you do with that? You just let them out? No, no, no. You, you know as well as I do. That we have a joke in the Bronx. The Bronx is, a, is the uh, county of predicates. Everybody's a predicate felon, which means they've previously been convicted of a crime. Yeah. There is no question that an African American kid or a Hispanic kid, they lean on these kids a hell of a lot more than white kids. You go to the four or five precinct, which you know very well, yeah. and the four or five is virtually a white precinct. The kid gets his mother will step in, or his father will step in. They'll yell at the kid; they won't make an arrest. But here, you go down to the four one or the four three or four two, and they get a minority kid. He's going to jail. They grab him off the streets, even if it's just a disorderly conduct. They'll throw well, him. In. You see, I'm, I'm, as I got older, uh, Murray, I I really changed my attitude a lot. I want to help kids. I want to help black and Hispanic kids. I want to get them out of the environment. I had an idea when I ran for mayor of opening up schools at night. 
high schools where you have off-duty cops could become big brothers to help them with their careers so they have someone to talk to because most of them don't have fathers. They don't have a father image. And I love the idea of bringing cops, interacting with the community kids back and with the police department make up the way it is now in New York City. I think we have almost 70 percent other than white males that are the police officers. So we kind of been changing. We've been changing. As far as the stop and frisk goes, again, we were about 750,000 stop and frisk a year. We're down to 12,000. Now they're taking that 12,000 stop and frisk, and they're saying, but there's so many with the minorities. But you got to look where the crime. Look, at I worked in the 7-5 as a homicide detective. We used to have 110 murders in the 7-5 every year. My point is where the crime is is where you want to you wanna infiltrate and get Blanket cops to stop the crime. If you got a cancer, you got a cancer in your body, you want a target to get those cancer cells out of it. You certainly can't let that crime just prevail on, on, on the people, that community. So it's a fine, it's a, like walking a tightrope. You know, yeah, but in walking that tightrope, you have to acknowledge that a minority kid, they're stopped five, six times a day. I tell you what, I, I have a client. I have my clients go the full gab, but I have yeah. all kinds. This kid walks out of his house, walks 15 feet, gets shaken down, thrown up against the wall, searched. Did he do anything? No. He walks another 20 feet, another cop will harass him. He'll get harassed five times, five times in one afternoon. It counts up as after a while, you have 12,000, 15,000, 150,000, and each one of those are a stop. What have you accomplished? You've, you've occupied the cop. You've got the kid to hate a cop because he's being mm. mistreated. The cop himself starts to feel superior. Now you have an occupying force. Mm. You have an occupying force. You're going to hate that occupying force. Well, I, I really think I've seen in my lifetime, even from being a cop in the turbulent 70s when crime was really rampant all over the city, I, I've seen a real change, and I, I've seen a change with the policing, and I, I really believe that, you know, we've come a long way from where we were from the way the respect to the cops are with the community interaction with the police. And I think we're, I think we're definitely seeing a change in the rising and even people's feelings about uh, uh, bail reform and all that. It's starting to change. So we are changing. It's not going that we have the Nazi stormtrooper cops out there the way we used to have in the seventies was a different time. So, I mean, look at everything is able to change. And I, I, I like the idea about change, and I like the idea about the community interaction where police are there for you to, to – you call them for help, and they shouldn't be the enemy. You know, you're a cop's cop, and I don't, I don't want to blow smoke at you. I really, really do. You were always a different kind of a person, and I'm, I don't want to blow – I never killed of, anyone. Well, I don't, that's not the better no, word. No, 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 no. My point is I've been stabbed. I've been shot at. I had, a, the, I had justification 15 times – I show, the guy shoots at me five times, throws a gun down, got you. I could have killed the guy and got another medal and all that crap. My point is, life is very valuable. And I tried to relate. And when I was investigating the biggest mass murder in New York, the Palm Sunday Massacre I back in 84, I, there was three uh, African-American kids who left abandoned in an apartment completely naked and had feces all over them. I waited for the mother to come back. My lieutenants called me. Yeah, you know, what the hell are you doing? I get back to the squad room. He goes, where you been for the last two? I said, there were three kids who were abandoned in the park. You're a homicide detective. I said, that's the problem. You know, these kids are going to remember that detective that came in there that cared about him, make sure they had food in the refrigerator. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very, you know, tough. 
I'll go fight the Hayes brothers, Nicky Bonds guys. I got locked in the cell, beat the living shit out of them. Today I'd be locked up. Tough guy on the street, yeah, but compassion. I love compassion with strength, but you got to care about people. Even the bad guys, you got to care about people. But you know, you, you, you were different. You were a street cop who made a mark. Yeah. You were a street cop. You, you didn't come in with a silver spoon in your mouth. No. You didn't come in sideways into the department like some people have come into the department. No. I had so, a father, Murray, that was born in Germany. And I always thought my little nick, nickname was a little guinea, little effing <laughs> guinea. My father used to call me that because I looked Italian. My brother looked, oh, God rest his soul, I lost my brother only uh, two months ago. He I had blue eyes, up. blonde hair. And my father used to, like, he had something against me. But I, I strap. I used to catch beatings if I looked at my mother the wrong way. But everyone says, oh, you become an abusive person if you beat. That's bull crap. I never put my hands on my kids. But what I did learn is one thing, two things, respect people all the time listen to them and don't just have one judgment about it weigh things out and i and when i ran for mayor that was one of the things i said look at we're talking about mentally ill people spending a billion dollars and then you have charlene de blasio the mayor's wife all of a sudden she's spending a billion dollars in the last couple of years three years and then she goes to senior citizens' home. People 85, they're depressed. Of course they're depressed. They don't have money. This. I'm worried about the people walking around the street. I'm also worried about my daughter teaches up the Dunbar School up in the South Bronx. When you have a student, you have 34 students in the classroom, third grade. You have a disruptive kid to tell her to, to, to do all kinds of things, cursing at her, yelling at her, spitting at her, and they can't remove that mentally ill child from the class. But what about the other 33 kids that want to learn? We have to be able to deal with that, deal with that kid, give them an environment where someone can help them. By graduating kids that are really not ready to be graduated, we're not helping them. These are issues that I think in mentally health Mental health are important. When you walk around Penn Station, you have people walking around crazy. We have to help them because what's going to happen? They'll have an interaction with a cop who doesn't know what the hell they're doing, scared of their shadow. Next thing, they're going to pull a gun out. Next thing, we're going to have a mentally ill person shot. I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah, but let's face it. They want to be truthful. We've done it ourselves. We have closed our mental institutions. We have nobody in mental institutions, and they should be there. Absolutely. 40% of people in Rikers Island are mentally ill. Criminals. I mean, uh, they're not criminals. They're mentally not criminals. sick. They're mentally they're... ill. They get arrested. And that's what a cop what does. What are you doing if, if a guy says something, God, no, you want to, I would like to help him. I'd like, we have Creedmoor. We have Manhattan State. We have all these places. We should put money in there and have facilities where they can have uh, consultings and people that, therapists that can try to help them. But leaving them on the street ain't helping nobody. Uh, that's something that has always eluded me. Yeah. I do not understand that thing. But, you know, it's, it's, if I had all the answers, I'd be mayor. Well, Murray, yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing, getting back to what we were saying before about criminal justice reform, you know, when it gets to the level of the courts, it seems that a lot of people are uh, taking plea deals. And, you know, when you're facing, you know, the full strength of the state and the prosecutors, the police, it seems like there's not, you know, a lot of options for people that get caught up in these things. Where do you see... Uh, you know, you've taken you've just said you've taken many uh, cases to trial. Why do you think it's uh, that the plea is uh, increasing and people don't know their rights to fully uh, pursue their trial? The system couldn't work without pleas. We are loaded in with arrests. You don't have enough judges to try all the cases with all due respect. So what, what do you do? You offer deals. Some of these deals are absurd. 
uh, they're fair-minded or they're not fair-minded, and they just got to move cases. In New York City, we have a problem in moving cases fast. In Westchester County, for example, last year they tried 18 trials in the entire county. That's all. And But they dispose of cases quickly. In Bronx, Manhattan, the number of crimes and the number of people going to trial is enormous. Years ago, a man wrote a book called It Takes Just One Man. And it took place in Philadelphia, where everybody was decided that they would not take pleas. Legal aid, all private counsel got together and they would not take pleas. Shut the system down. Shut the system down. You couldn't possibly function without people taking pleas. Because what do you do with the people? In some cases in Bronx County, they're backed up four and five years. Wow. I just tried a murder so case. So guys in jail four or five years and not convicted they get of anything. And not convicted. That's, 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 that's horrible. I have just finished a case, and we just finished it in December. The kids sat four years, three months in jail waiting for trial. Got the trial. We were acquitted. Wow. Acquitted. So what, what does he get back for the he, four nothing. years? He gets nothing back. They had probable cause to believe a crime was committed. Thus, grand jury have indicted him. He, he cannot even sue. There's no basis for it. Four years, three months. He was 17 when he went in. He was almost 22 when he came out. He got nothing for it. He was beaten up in jail. I don't want to say what else was happening in jail. There was a lot of bad things. He had four and a half years of hell. Can he put them back together? This is like Humpty Dumpty. The kid's broken. Mm. Well, you know what? Again, I keep going back because we go back so far. I've, I've kind of really evolved you know, from one tough cop. I'm working on you. Guy. I'm working on you. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm there. I'm there. And I, I evolve and I, I get what you're saying. There's got to be some sort of a point that we can get to. But, you know, the other side is the federal system with the plea bargaining. <laughs> I mean, when you're Not getting bargaining. hit with these Ricos, these Ricos, you're looking at 100 years. You get off at eight years. You scoff that thing up even if you're innocent. Yeah, that's something I w- would like to talk to you about. I mean, I've heard another interview where you said that the scariest words are the United States versus yeah. whoever you are. You have to be frightened. Just think. Most of us love our country. And when the title of the action is United States of America versus John Doe, who's yeah. the bad guy? John Doe. Even United States of America saying it. It's just say what he just said. The United States of America versus Bo Deedle. I'm guilty. Because that's the United States of but America. But even though you're presumed innocent, but nobody really does that. The United States of America doesn't do bad things, yeah. allegedly. Mm-hmm. So as a result... I'm going to become a liberal, you know, Carl? Well, the more I sit with Murray, the more <laughs> I feel like I want to become a liberal. I, uh, but you, know, you see it from a different vantage point. Yeah. You know, let's face it. Your vantage point, I've represented cops. If you remember the squeegee cop case. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michael Myers, I represented... And we won that case, even though everybody didn't give us a shot. We won it, and we won, and we won the cop's case. There's no question. I've represented numerous look, cops. Look, look, what I had, look what I had to go through, Murray. I locked the guy up uh, in the Bronx there that killed the 10 kids, the Palm Sunday Massacre. Uh, the, guy, the guy got out to uh, a year and a half. The guy got over a year and a half ago. He gets out of jail for killing 10 people. You know, inside my heart, I still have the pictures, Carl, I'll tell you, on my desk of the crime scene. These kids shot never to have a Christmas or Easter. And you want to know something? Is that right? You know, I look at that. It hurts me inside that these children that were killed never had the opportunity to have Christmas or Easter. And, you know, it, it's a fine balance, you know, and it's tough. <laughs> yeah, but, Bo, you, you know, you're a guy. You, you're on the scene. You know what the situation is. America, land of freedom and opportunity, got 2.3 million people in jail. There's no country in the world, none, 
who had that many people in jail. Just nuts. Mm. I'm talking about 2.3 whole countries are not that big. And we acknowledge most of the people who are in jail are in fact guilty. But there is at least, and this is conservatively, 50,000 or more innocent people in jail today. 50,000. Well, one is too many innocent people in jail. One saying. to me is too many. And, and you know, then all of a sudden from my uh, gumbas, all my spaghetti bedding friends, all my friends, and I and I, I personally have a lot of very dear friends that are alleged were involved. I, in could, I can acknowledge and I, that. And I don't hide it. And I kiss them like like they're my family. Remember my friend Louis Dome and Angelo? I was on a Louis trial. All the all the greatest it's guys. Were, these are like my family. And I, I've said it in front of Internal Affairs. They go, you know John Gotti. I said, yeah, I grew up with him. John Gotti said, probably saved my life. Back in 1965, when a guy cracked me, and we went there, and Joey Scopo, and I grew up with him. I, I can't take my eyeballs out. Do I do anything? I, that was one of the reasons I never worked in organized crime, is because I knew everybody. How can I work in organized crime? We'll have dinner together. I'm locking you up. No. So I like getting on the street and helping the people. But in, in, in reality of what's going on with the organized crime thing, you were involved with a lot of those oh, big, yeah. big organized crime cases. Some of them. Let's talk about a couple of the big cases you did, famous cases with organized crime. Westchester right? Premier Theater. What's Sinatra? I was with Louis Dome. Louis Dome was it. I had the only acquittal, Mikey Coco. Yeah. How did you get the acquittal? That was a sleeping defendant routine. That was with Gam Carlo Gambino with the famous yes, the picture, picture the picture with, with the, Carlo with, Gambino. With, uh, with Fratty. He arrested some corporate guys. Oh yeah, the guys, the guys from Warner Communications. Wow! And they went to trial with them. You know, you couldn't tell the mob guys from, from the uh, corporate guys. They looked just the same. <laughs> and I, I, I was representing a guy named Mikey Coco, Mira Nisessian, uh, and uh, he was a real tough guy. Really loved that guy. But I says, how do you look different? You have all these guys in suits, Mike. I want you to come with an overalls, you know, with the <laughs> overalls, a flannel shirt. And he came and tucked himself off and went to sleep during the trial. But the judge, the judge was Bob Sweet, wonderful judge. Yeah. And I made no participation in trial. I read the bo- a book, uh, SSBG by Len Dayton. And the jury would observe it. And the judge would say, every time I had a witness, Mr. Jones, Mr. Thing, Mr. Hannah, you have a question? Que-? Mr. Richmond, I would say, no questions. Not one question. After six weeks, I I couldn't sit anymore. My, <laughs> my, my spine was getting dislocated. And I had a witness had nothing to do with my client. And how do I set my client apart? That's probably part of the key. I got up there. and it, Any questions, Mr. Richmond? I said, yes, Judge. He looked at me the first time I'm asking a question during the course of the trial. I stand up and I said, Mr. Witness, do you know my client? And almost on cue. The juror said, Counselor, can you speak up? And I said, I don't want to wake my client. <laughs> <laughs> and the jury started to laugh. The defendant started to laugh. The judge had to cover his face for laughing. My client was sleeping. <sighs> he, said, he took a 10-minute break. He <laughs> came back. My client was still sleeping. They started laughing again. They adjourned for the day. My client walked. Wow. Sleeping defendant routine. Oh, common. In fact, I made a video of it. Yeah, if you if you look on the video, there it is. It's all it's all done. It's all absolutely. So you say the courtroom is theater. In it a is way. theater. Oh yeah, it's theater. It's theater. Who was that little uh, the little lawyer that did all the uh, the wrongful suits? He used to come out a little bit of a man, and he used to take his white handkerchief and go like this in front of the jury. The purity. What was his name? One of the most famous uh, uh, civil lawyers there. 
and he used to come out. He had a white handkerchief, and he would a little bit of a You're guy. Talking about civil, I, I, I know you who you mean. Yeah, but I, and he used they call it. What he used to do is he used to wear a white handkerchief and bring it out in front of the jury as he's talking for the fun, for the purity of the white handkerchief. I mean, there's little gimmicks. Put it this way: this is theatrical. If Murray wasn't a lawyer, he'd be a great actor. I'm going to tell you something right now. Lawyers are actors. Your Joe Tacopinas. Oh, Joe. Your, 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 you, he, you don't remember Jay Cosby. Jay Cosby probably before your time even. Jay Cosby was from Philadelphia. He came up and tried a case in New York. It was the uh, uh, Joey Lacosa case, yeah. uh, 1973, 74. And he came up and he cried. He cried his way through the trial. He would get up and he would start crying. He would bawl. Every question he would say, do you believe, do you believe this is going on? <laughs> and he'd cry in front of the jury. Amazing. The only one he that really client out of jail. The only one that really was funny too was, and he's not doing too well either. My friend Bruce Cutler, he was he was dynamic, in it, but he thought he was John Gotti. He used yeah. to dress exactly like him, and he'd be there like he looked. He reminded me of that guy from Italy. What was his name? Uh, Mussolini. That's what that's what that's what Cutler looked like. Benito Mussolini, and he'd be in the court with the matching ties and all that, just like John he's Gotti. Really, like, he really is a sweet guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not doing too well. I, all my friends, everybody's taking a pipe on me. You better hang around with me. I'm here. I'm here. I'm not going nowhere. All right, good. So let's good. talk a little bit more about you know the actual mechanics of it because you're there. You're trying to tell your story. Your liberty's last line of defense. So how do you construct this drama to get your point across and tell tell the narrative to uh, you know make the jury side with your you defense? know many people don't do this and they just respond to that which is a stimuli at the moment. You got to have a plan. You know the old adage: if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you don't think your case through and figure out what you want to do, where you want to bring your jokes or in. Or what could go wrong. Yeah, but you've got to anticipate. Anticipation yeah. is it. Preparation, preparation, preparation. That's the secret of success. And you go over your case and know what you're going to say. Know what stories you're going to use in your summation. Know how you're going to present your client. You've got to do that. It's a dance. You get in front of the jury, you begin on one side of the, of the courtroom, and then you dance to the other side of the courtroom. Literally, it's a dance. And you become the 13th juror. You only, almost put your foot into the jury box, and you're there to help them find your client not guilty. You want the jury to like you, too. That's important. I mean, they they the can like you did, and hang your client, but i got to tell you that. But, I've had that happen. Yeah, but they, I mean, it, it's a better scenario with the jury liking you rather than being like that obnoxious lawyer. I don't like that lawyer. Then they're going to convict the client. Because but, you know, like, a jury is not just one man. I've had cases where I had 11 to 1 verdict. 11 to 1, it wasn't a verdict, it was a hung jury. And I was devastated. This one person didn't like me. And that's what he and voted he, and against. And he would have voted against me. And the, I felt bad. And the other juror says, don't worry, he hated his father. You reminded him of his father. And oh. as a result of that, he would not vote my client not guilty. We tried it again. It was voted not guilty. But you, get, you don't know what goes on in people's minds. One, you see, that's another side of the coin. You have one nut, Carlo. You have a clear case of acquittal. And one nut can just hang the jury. Or vice versa, too. Yeah, vice versa, yeah. I tell you, the justice system is very, very, very It's very interesting. That's why, it's you tenuous know. tenuous at best. Yeah. So then you went from the gumbas, my people. And the rappers. And then you went to the rappers. How did you get involved with the rappers? Actually, I got a call from a, from a guy named Todd Boskowitz. Todd Boskowitz is very big in the rap community. He's one of the, well, he's head of Universal. And I got a call on him for DMX about 30 years ago. Yeah. 
And I started representing DMX. I still represent DMX yeah. right now. And then we represented Jay-Z on an occasion. Well, I got I got Propman into, what's his name? Puff Daddy? Puff Daddy with the I, shooting. I had Shine in the same case. No, but we had the shooting there. We I remember. You understand. Yeah. Uh, we, in fact, Mike, uh, Mike. And we, we represented Puff Daddy and, and the girl there. Was J-Lo. Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo. And then all of a sudden, Jay-Z with the stabbing. And then I gave it the, the only thing I didn't like. I, I think Ben Robbins a great lawyer. I'm not going to knock Brennan. The only thing I don't like about Ben, he doesn't share the case with me anymore. He goes, he needs investigations. I said, Ben, I give you all these cases. I said, we got a good group of litigation support. Give us some business back. Yeah, okay, Bo, and then we don't get it. So I got a little peeved at him. I got a little peeved. Then I got mad at him with Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, uh. because I know Harvey a long time, and I got really mad at him for the fact that uh, Mike Cervola's nephew was the detective that was involved with well, this I didn't thing. didn't know that. Yeah, and he came at him that he was lying. The kid was not lying. The kid was straight as an arrow. He told the DA's office. And a lot of that crap, and Ben was going after I called Ben. I said, Ben, you don't know what you're talking about. This kid's a straight kid. He had told the assistant DA about the, you know, about the phone calls and all that stuff. So my point is, I, I'm a guy that likes to... Get my face right into it. I, if it's something's wrong, I like to correct it. If I do something wrong, I apologize, and I'll say I'm sorry. That's compassion with strength. That's important. No? Oh, I, I've always loved it. I love you yeah. for that. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an adventure. Right? You know, practicing law is an adventure. So talking about some of these adventures, so when you first started getting involved with these alleged wise guys, did you ever feel like a, a fear? or did no, you ever? I got to tell you. I've never been threatened, not once in 55 years. You didn't get paid years. a few times, I'm well, sure. You, you, you know that. <laughs> One of the greatest overreaching situations in the world. Don't believe you're going to get paid in those cases. Don't worry, Murray. The check's in the mail. Yeah, the famous last words. Yeah, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the reality is never been a fearful. Never been. Uh, I do the best I can. Yeah. And they recognize. Every once in a while, you got a wacko, but that's part of the course. But by and large, decent human beings, they understand the situation. <laughs> and I've, very frankly, I've done remarkably well. No, because you, 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 know, you know the law so inside once you out. established that reputation, I mean, you went from the small guys to all the way up to, you know, heads of these crime families. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm. And so is that how you were able to increase your business and your profile? by? You, you know, you go out and hustle. You, you can't, nobody ever came knocking at your door simply because you sat behind that door. When I was young, I would go out, I would bounce, and I would bounce with a lady, and we'd go to various clubs on a Friday night, and they would pass out my cards or meet people. And then I Network. And, th- and I got into a habit of writing things down in certain cards I had made up. Let's see if I have the card with me here. Here, there they are. It's a yeah, card Barry, which, yeah. which has my name on it. We, like we, I, do, I do the same thing. Yeah, but I have my name on it. Once I put out my card and have my name on it, they were on the they were on payroll situation. And I would take it out and talk to the people. I'd walk in on a Friday night when I was younger, five, ten, eight cases a night without batting an eye. I was making money right away. And if you hustle and you work your your tail off, you can do it. If you're going to sit up there waiting for them to knock on your door simply because you're there and the world is talk about business. It's not going to be there. That's why I talk about business. I get crazy about business. I'm in business 34 years. You're out every night. But I'm out. I'm a networker. And you know what? Business just doesn't happen. You don't stay in business 34 years not delivering and not being there for people. The, The funny case, real fast on this one, 
Barry Slotnick, I love Barry for years. That time when he got beat up, he got his, with the Columbo's broke his arm and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Barry was defending Ivankov, the Russian mob head, like the John Gotti of the Brooklyn Brighton Beach mob, Russia. And he's in court. Now they had him like six murders. And we're in court with him. And all of a sudden, Ivankov is talking Russian. This is when he gets convicted for life over life over life. And then all of a sudden, the reporters are out with Barry, and he's, like, cursing at Barry, but he's talking in Russian. So Barry says to the reporter, oh, he said, uh, I did a great job. <laughs> you know what he was saying? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I know about those things, but that's not. <laughs> so, Murray, in your past career, do you have any favorite clients or favorite cases? Of or- course, you're going to have to have them. You're going to have some cases. I, you know, Mikey Coco is no longer with us, but he was a fantastic guy. There were so many guys. I have so many people in the business. I don't need to mention their names. They know who they are. He's got a great reputation with everybody. We have, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, I was on the Secretary of Labor Donovan case. Mm-hmm. And that was a case that never should have been brought. Mario Marola brought it because he wanted to be mayor. 11 months on trial. Oh. Wasted millions of dollars. And the case ended up with a complete acquittal. Did you, you never see nicer guys in the entire world than guys like Ray Donovan and Shavoni and all those people in the Did you do Biagi at all? I, I went to law school with Barrio. I didn't. I didn't. But you uh, didn't do his yeah. case, Barrio. I like I like Barrio a lot. Yeah, me too. I have a very good friend. I went to law school with him. In fact, mm. interestingly enough, it's a little story of Barrio and why Stacy is I'm working old, with me. Man. I'm, I'm starting to realize I'm getting old. I'm catching you. No, you, you know? I got to be dead for you to catch no, me. No, no, I'm catching you, man. But I, I, I walk out of my office one night at 8 o'clock at night, and there, uh, right next to my office is a restaurant, Pasta Pasta. And Mario, who was congressman at the time, is uh, walking into the restaurant. I said, Mario, what are you doing here so late? I said, I'm still working. He said, what are you, crazy? Still working? You've got a dozen people working for you. I know, but you know, I'm the boss. He says, where's your daughter? She's still out in California? She was practicing law in California at the time. I says, yeah. She says, get her back here. You don't leave a gold mine to a stranger. Well, let me tell you, again, because we're going to want be winding down, but let me tell you something. Honestly, Carlo, if I got locked up tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning, no disrespect to Murray, call I'd daughter. call his daughter. His daughter is fabulous. I just complimented her yesterday. I called her up when she blew a case right out with some bullcrap case. She twisted it around, turned it around, and brought the truth out and was able to to take it right out. And I'll recommend her forever and ever and ever. Also, Murray, but no, no disrespect to Murray. First of all, she's better looking than me. Very <laughs> much so. And I'd rather have... Uh, no, I, I like having drinks with you too, Murray. <laughs> yeah, your daughter's beautiful, and uh, she's just so talented, hardworking. I just feel bad that her life is just law. And she's such a beautiful young woman, and her life, I mean, this is what she lives and thrives upon. That's an attorney that you want, someone that gives their life, not an attorney that's with me at Rayo's every night dancing, not worrying about the case, not preparing for the case. But we're going to wrap things up. Uh, you know what we do, Murray, is every week what we do is we do a punk of the week. Now, punk of the week means it could be an issue or something. So I'd like to ask you what really bothers you you're punk of the week. What, what do you think? i got to tell you, I'm a liberal. I'm a diehard liberal, okay? But I don't like the law being used to punish anybody. This Manafort, okay? I don't like Vance charging him just in case the president exonerates him in, in some kind. Yeah, that, that is, that's, that's annoying. I don't agree with the president. I'm going to be quite candid with you. I don't like the guy. But that's not the issue. 
In fact, I, I met him through you, the president, at your party yeah. at Cipriani's years ago. Yeah. But I don't like him taking a, people taking a shot using the law as anything other than what it should be used for. Right, like you got a guy made that it for You're looking for off. one thing, this collusion stuff. Then all of a sudden you just open the books up. Look, if I look deep enough to you, call me, anybody looks deep, they're going to find something. At what point... Is this like an overage? And then on the other side with our friend, the president there, I call him my friend sarcastically because I've called him a narcissist <laughs> and a liar because he is a liar. But with that said, my own feelings for him is he's trying to do. And like with McCain, leave it alone. The man's dead. Why he would even bring something up like McCain, that issue was so crazy. Now he's going after Kelly Conway's husband. Leave it alone. You're the president. You're supposed to be up here. I, that you I don't get it all. But I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get involved in that. I have my own radio show. I don't ever, ever talk about the political situations. Yeah. And frankly speaking, notwithstanding that, very fact that I dislike the man, I don't want to see the law used improperly. Well, my punk of the week is again Charlene de Blasio, <laughs> wasting money. We're talking about with the <sighs> renewal schools that I went over when I ran for mayor, a billion there, a billion here, then 3,000 jobs for $300 million. Damn it. That's my problem. And also, one more punk of the week, the three major banks, Chase and Goldman and the other one, with $144 billion profit. Hey, give some of that money back to some of the people that can be helped across this country. We have people that can live paycheck to paycheck. People who have a $400 bill and they can't pay for it, whether it be medical or food. People who are making less than $12 an hour, 50% across this country. We have to help the poor people too. You know what? I'm very fortunate to be in the upper 5% like everybody around this table is. But there are other people that don't know if they don't get that check, they can't pay for anything. I may be becoming a liberal just like you soon. I may join the liberal Core. My heart was stopping. I gotta tell you, I'd be shocked. But I really want to thank you and send my love. my pleasure anytime. Send my love to your daughter and uh, and you're welcome back anytime. And thank you, Carl. Great, great being with you, Carl. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stop in sometime. You're right in the neighborhood. Yep. Go ahead. Give me a plug. So thank you very much to Mary Richmond. It was very, very interesting. Informative. Uh, Very informative, and I learned a lot today. Uh, You can follow us on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at the real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You can find me at CJ Coutinho on all platforms. We welcome your questions, your comments, your suggestions. Hold on. How, when they get locked up, how do they get Murray? Well, I don't need any help. Just pick up the information and ask for Don't Worry Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Murray right. Richmond. And if Murray's not there, who do they call? Stacy Richmond. Stacy Richmond and Murray Richmond. Two great attorneys probably the best in new york and i don't say it lightly i get collar tonight you get on the phone to stacy because he'll be sleeping so stacy will be up thank you all uh, right email you, all your questions to one tough podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next week thank you
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 